So uh, the last message, the last message called the main thing. How many remember last week's message? That's good. That's encouraging. Usually only two or three people remember. There's eight or ten of you, so I tell you what, I'm, I'm ready to go. This is the last one, business as usual. It's a, an unusual message. It is very real. It is a very practical, and uh, it really is a bit confronting. How many of you work in Christian organizations? May I see your hand? Like maybe Southeastern University or Victory Church or uh, uh, Florida Baptist uh, Children's Home. Any, go ahead and get your hand up. You're not ashamed that you work in. A, how many do not work in a Christian organization? Okay, that's good. How many of you, you haven't shown up for work yet, you don't know what you work in? There'll be a lot of, a lot of ways. So we're, we're going to, I'm going to read the scripture in a minute. Colossians, the uh, third chapter, verse 23 and 24. Um, you see, the, the place that we spend the majority of our energy uh, usually is at work. We work eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, uh, 12 hours a day. Some of you work, I mean, 12 hours a day is it. And you do it five or six days a week. But most of us, you spend your waking hours or maybe you work night shift. That's where you spend most of your time. When you come home, you're doing the honeydew list, getting dinner, supper, whatever it is. And then maybe uh, reading devotions, etc. Some people impact where they work, and that's what we're going to talk about, by, you know, having a devotional on their desk. And when they have a break, they take, you know, their devotional out. Maybe they read it. Some on their desk, wherever they work, have a scripture or two that is there, uh, you know, and that's kind of the testimony. We know that we talked about that the main thing is the main thing, John 3, 16. But God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, whoever should believe upon Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And a person should confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. Then we know that they, they shall be saved. That's, that's why we exist. It's to reach lost people. Right now, there are hundreds of people in the other building that's going through uh, classes on membership and things of that nature uh, to learn, you know, who we are. Many of them have been coming to church for a while, but they will soon find out, here it is, to know Christ and make Him known. We want to introduce people to Jesus, and we want to disciple people or make Him known to them, and that's what we do. I mean, we get to enjoy the praise. We get to enjoy the time together, the time of fellowship. Don't be an individual that rushes in and rushes out, you know. Stop, shake some hands, hug some necks, because you never know when you're going to need a person in the Christian fellowship. So we know that we touch our immediate family, and we uh, talk to them about Jesus, and, and that's important. But I can tell you that, that on the job, uh, we ought to certainly let our light shine where we work, because that's where we spend a lot of time. And you go to your job, and you can say, okay, it's just a job. It's where I show up. I'm just after the check. By the way, for a believer, that's a wrong attitude. You need to get that in check. Or you can go to your work and say, you know what, God, this is the place that you planted me. And it's not the perfect place, but it's where you planted me for this moment. And I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to be the best that I can possibly be as an employee 
or as a co-labor together with these individuals. There are approximately four billion people in the world who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. And if we were to freeze the population as it relates, and let's say you won somebody to the Lord, and then uh, next year that's somebody, and you won somebody else, uh, it would be exponential, and you would keep, it would take 33 years to win those four billion people who have not yet received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So if you look at your job, if you look where you work, where you earn your living, look at it with respect and say, you know, God, it may be true that I am planted here. Maybe I need to remember uh, what I, who I am and what I I should be doing. And be careful that you don't get lax. So here's several points. Here it is. How do we work? So here you go. Colossians 3, 23, Paul speaking, speaking right into our hearts, coming in. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So here's what he said. Wherever you work, wherever you're planted, look at it positively because you're working as God is your supervisor. God is your supervisor. Do it as doing it unto the Lord. And you and I, if we say, all right, if that's true, I'm going to let my light shine in the darkness. So here we go. Paul again, Colossians 3.22, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and with reverence of the Lord. You don't like your boss? Too bad. You don't have the option if you're going to let your light shine. You don't like the way they do things? Too bad. You don't have the option to get a raunchy attitude over that. Turn to your neighbor and say he's talking to you. There you go. You just, as a believer... Well, my Lord, pastor, as a believer, can't we do anything? Yeah. What do you do? Do it as unto the Lord. Do it right. Amen? Don't take the low road. Let me move on. Some of you get nervous. We're to demonstrate our whole heart at work and doing it no matter what happens and say, hey, I want to be a valued employee. I want to be a valued co-labor. I don't want to sink into the gossip pool. I don't want that to happen. And on where you work, because you spend a lot of time there, two things are important. One is confidence, and the other is credibility. People who command the greatest respect in the workplace are those who do the best work. You don't want to be a deadbeat worker. What is a deadbeat worker? We all know what a deadbeat worker is. A deadbeat worker is the one that shows up late. Here's what happens. I start the new job. I'm good, and I'm going, and I, I know 8 o'clock's when I'm supposed to be there, whatever the case. And, and, well, you get five minutes after 8, and you think, okay, you know, so what? Nobody said anything. Ten minutes after 8, and that becomes a habit and a routine. And after a while, you know, the boss, he hadn't said any words, so it must be okay. You know what? If you start to work at 8 o'clock, be at work at at eight o'clock. Don't be a deadbeat work. You ought to be on time wherever you go. I don't have any one place in mind. For the reason I'm late, Pastor, everybody can't get in the parking lot at the same time. We'll make a special provision for you. Y'all with me? 
here we go. Deadbeat worker? What is it? Deadbeat worker is, uh, is you pass responsibilities to other people. I didn't do that. You know good and well you did. Or in fact, deadbeat worker, you're abusive to customers. What? You gripe about the boss. You gripe about others. You gripe about how difficult the job is. You gripe about the lack of pay. You dress like a slob. You change jobs all the time. You a deadbeat, friend. Be careful how you say, oh, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not big time interested in the behavior of deadbeat people who show a light that's not true to the relationship that we have with Jesus. Somebody on the front row say amen on those cell phones y'all working on right there, boys. That'd be a good idea. Pay attention. Y'all loving me this morning, aren't you? <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> you know, I was over greeting the new visitors over there, the people who want to get in church. And somewhere along the line, I mentioned about burial plots of how they bury people on top of one another these days. Did anybody here know that? It's called double stacking. I mean, it's a reality, right? At the cemetery, bury here and bury on top. It is more reasonable that way. Some people say, I think I'll do that. Cremation is the most reasonable. You know, it's a, one way for a loved one who was glad you're gone. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm getting in deeper trouble. But I said, anybody have any questions? No one has ever asked me any questions in those times. This one lady raised her hand and said, I have a question. Who's going to be on top when you die, you or Sharon? I thought, what? You asking that question? About, I tell you, I, God knows who's going to be on top. I mean, <laughs> listen carefully. On the job, we have the privilege of declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. Less work in a way that brings honor to God. Number two, it's important how we treat people. It's important. As Christians, we're to be people builders and not people users. If you're an employer or a supervisor, people are not there at your service. You very seldom, if you do, it's a mistake. If you ever hear me, ever hear me say, they work for me. They work for me. Well, who in the world are you? It's a whole lot more meaningful to the people that work with you to hear you say, oh, yeah, they work with me. We are a team together. They were, I have pastors that I often correct. Who do you think you are when you say as if you're some high and mighty person set up on a throne that anybody works for you? Hello? People work with you. Treat people. Honor them. Understand them. Our goal is not, listen, as Christians, as employers, as supervisors, our goal is not just to get the job done. 
It's to be certain that when we do reach the goal, we reach it together and we feel good about one another and we celebrate that win or celebrate winning that goal because there are no big eyes or little use. We're all in the business together. Amen? If you didn't like that, something's wrong with you, my friend. That's according to the Word of God. You and I have an opportunity for those with whom we work to make a difference in eternity. Here's what I know. If you're endeavoring and your job You have two opportunities. One is to ennoble people, and the other is to encourage them. If you ennoble someone, it means you honor them, you dignify them, you lift them up. You speak words of encouragement to them. Why is that important? Because many people who are lost, they're smart, they're intelligent. But I can tell you that everyone that you work with sooner or later is going to run into a problem. And many of them may not be a churchgoer. Many of them are suspect, and I'll talk about that in a moment, of Christians when you say you're a Christian. But if they really see you live the kind of life on the job like you live, and you're not so heavenly-minded, hello? You're so heavenly-minded that everything you say on the, oh, bless God, I wouldn't go to you. I say, you, you're too godly for me. You know what I mean? But if it's that quiet, sincere godliness that people know, hey, that person's the real deal right there. I mean, I've seen them under fire when they were accused of something, and I knew they didn't do it. They didn't fight. They just stood and said, I'm sorry. You know, I must have made a mistake, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. God calls us to serve other individuals because everybody cares. Here's what people want to know. It's this. It's not what you say on the job and to other people. It's what you do. It's how do you live out that Christianity in what you do. A number of years ago, Southwest Airlines, the employees got together, kicked in enough money for $60,000 for one page, one day in the USA Today. They wanted to honor the president of their company. And they said the whole page was things about what they honored about their president. Things like, thanks for remembering our names. Here's another, uh, thank you for coming in on Thanksgiving Day and helping us load luggage. Here here was another, thank you for being a friend, not just a boss. You know what they were saying? We know you live in the ivory tower over there. We know that you have a stock option that makes more money than we could ever dream of. But you know what? You treat us just like we are close, close friends. My friend, that's what people desire out of other people, especially Christians. They want to know that we are real. You say, well, that's not my managerial style. I don't care what your managerial style is. What I do care about is how you manage people reflecting the love of Jesus operating and functioning through you. We were at a table the other day. And we were talking about goals and things of that nature. Procopio back there, apparently he's got a new phone. And on the phone, he can just pick the phone up and do this. And it cracks like a whip. (laughs) And it gave him the biggest thrill. I think Doug English was talking, or Jeff, probably Jeff, said something. And old Procopio took it out. Choo-choo, choo, 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 choo. People thought, my Lord, he's a nutcase. I thought, how do y'all know him? That's not what God called us to do, is it? Some of us in our nature, we can. But God called us to be lovers of people, not users of people. 
God called us to be encouragers. God called us to look out for people and know. Because you see, if you care about people, they won't have to tell you what their need is. You'll observe it because you know them. You really do care about them. Here's another. It's important to know what to say. To know what to say. You need to be able to explain in a moment's notice what you believe about Jesus Christ. Some people treat their Bible like they do the instructions of their refrigerator. I mean, how much instruction do you need about your refrigerator? They bring it in, set it up, said, here's how it works. You know what you do with the instructions? You put them in a drawer somewhere and then forget where you put it until it breaks down. And when it breaks down, you go looking for, hey, what, what's something about this refrigerator? There it is. As long as I don't need the Bible, I put it up. But when I need it, I need to find it. But you know what we have to do and what God calls us to do? He said, hey, if somebody asks you about, hey, tell me about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you where you start. It's what he's done for you. What's Jesus done for you? What's he done for you? Buddy, I was this, this, and this, and I wouldn't I'd tell you. Somebody talked to me about Jesus, friended me, and, and we started going to church. And that's the greatest way. Share, share your testimony of relating people. Here's, an, here's what 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, and do this with gentleness and respect. We gave you the bazooka card last week. I mean, I call it this, the bonanza of all cards right here. It's called the Romans Road. You can't hide this thing. It's right there. It said, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Here it is. But you know, don't start with this. Start with your testimony. Start with loving Jesus. And it don't start. Just build relationships with people that you don't. And listen, moms and dads, if you've got children that are adult children, don't be ashamed to say, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the fruit here. I've taken them aside. You know what? Can we just talk for a minute? I just want to be sure that you understand when you say, as my child, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that there needs to be some fruit there. Well, you're going to wait until they get in trouble or something would have happened to them and look back and say, I should have talked to them. Don't do that. Some workers that you have, don't wait until it's too late. You build that relationship. You say, here's what happened. Or you build a relationship. That was another one of the styles. It's relational. Get to know them. Last week, a gal came. She came because she's in a, a, a restaurant that Sharon and I go to. She's a sweet lady, and uh, she got three or four kids, and she came last week, Sunday morning. And she just was carried away. She said, I'll be there next week, which would have been today. And uh, so uh, Sharon was in the restaurant again, and uh, she said, well, I was coming to church. I guess this was yesterday, maybe. I was coming to church tomorrow. I had my husband, had all my kids and somebody else. But they told me that I had to work on tomorrow. And I asked him, please, isn't there some way that I wouldn't? No, we, we have to have you work. She said, I'm so disappointed because I really wanted to be there. I wanted my kids. I, wanted, I really, really wanted to be there. I thought, how did that start? That started out, one, let me tell you how it started. It started out, number one, by being a good tipper. And it wasn't a Jesus track. 
I just might as well meddle. Do you know what the servers of Victory Church often tell us about Christian people, church people? That Christians are the worst tippers for customers. There's something wrong, y'all. Something wrong. But we were good tippers. Were you extravagant? No. Just good tippers. Well, what if she gave you fouled up service? We give good tip. We don't judge what they do. We judge what we do by what the total is on that bill. Well, if they don't do good service, why would you tip them? Because we love them. And listen, they don't forget you. Hello? They don't forget you. It's what I do. I always have this fear to get back in that kitchen with my food. <laughs> Y'all with me? Sure. No. The point is, she says, I want to come. She came last week. God revolutionized her life. And I'm grateful to God for that. We understand. They don't understand our language. Well, you need to get saved. What does that mean? I'm not in trouble. I don't need to get saved. Well, you need to get baptized. Well, what does that mean? I don't want baptized. Well, you need to get born again. Nicodemus said, well, what's that? What is born again? We expect them to understand our language. John 1, 12, as many as received Jesus to them, he gave the right to become the children of the Lord, even to those who believed in his name. So we know how to talk and just love on people. And number four, we need to, we need to be people that we say that we are. We need to be the real deal. You know, Christians, when they take stuff back to the store, they behave differently than a person that's a non-believer. They don't lose their temper. They don't get nasty when the person behind the counter makes a mistake a time or two. We don't do that, do we? I said, we don't do that, do we? We don't do that. Surely we don't. We, we don't misbehave. Somebody butts in line ahead of us. Must be a reason, God, you planted that person in front of me. There's a spirit of rudeness there that I believe I can pray out of them. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? We need to be people that we say that we are. When you let individuals in your workplace know you're a Christian, here's what happens immediately. The radar of hypocrisy goes straight up. You're a Christian, are you? Uh-huh. Well, I noticed that you talked about the boss. You talked about the boss, and you're supposed to be a Christian. Oh, I see. You what kind of slang language is that? What kind of language is that for a Christian? Oh, I saw you butt in line as we were leaving the parking lot in your car because you drive a Land Rover and I drive a Fiat. You thought you could manhandle me. How many get the point? How many know we need to do better? It's good. 
We got that point. We need to be the people that we say we are. Do you know why? Because there are people looking to justify why they don't go to church. They're looking to justify why they're not a Christian. They're looking to justify why they're not a believer. And their hypocrisy radar goes up and they look at you and say, hey, I'm just as good as you are and I don't go to church because I watch you say and do things that's not even close to being a Christian. So why should I go? Amen, Pastor. Hallelujah. So let me wrap it up here. This will be my first wrap up. <laughs> Maggie, I'll give you a last name. She said, the Christianity that I grew up with was confusing to me as a child. I was abused. I was used. I was beaten, molested. People said one thing to me and, and did another, Christians. They appeared to be very spiritual in public, but they were abusive to me in private. And what they said never did fit. There was such a discrepancy that I, be, I became, I hated Christianity. I hated the church. I hated anyone that said they were Christian because they were all fake. I didn't want to associate with the church. And the older I got, I drifted on a path with more anxiety, more negative behavior, all because of what happened by those who were supposed to be Christians. She said, as I got a little older, something inside me urged me. I don't know what it was to go to church. She said, I don't know why, but I did. And when I went, I went with an attitude and I went with the desire to prove and justify why I didn't go. So I went in. When I got there, she said, I, I was timid and I was suspicious. But the people there gave me a smile, told me welcome, pointed me to the sanctuary, didn't just say hello, they welcomed me. And when you talked about small group, I thought, wow, I'm a pretty persuasive individual. I bet I could wreck a good small group with the attitude that I have. She said, I went to one. When I got there, no sooner than got there, I asked a question that was a pointed question, that was a trick question. She said, they didn't try to answer it. He said, we don't know the answer to that question, but I bet pastor knows. Or somebody knows, we'll find out next week. If you come back, we'll have the answer for you. She said, in that small group, she said, people actually prayed for one another. They didn't come just to eat the food and have a good time. They actually were serious about growing in Jesus. It wasn't a party. 
It was a wonderful time of fellowship that just blew me away. I went back and went back and went back because I never felt the sincerity of love before that I felt there. No matter how weird my question was, and some of my questions were out of pure bitterness, they still tried to answer it. They didn't say to me, what you need to do is pray more, and you know the answer. They didn't say to me, what you need to do is read the Bible more. Don't you have a Bible? They didn't do that to me. They just accepted me. My dress began began to change, and I began to change until the day I laid all my anxiety and all of my bitterness on the altar and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And she said, I continue to have a deep concern. What if there are other individuals like me that went on the same journey? She said, I learned in my small group because they were, some of them were transparent of their pains and their sufferings and their difficulties. And I didn't feel alone. I came to realize I wasn't with a group of perfect people. I was with a group of individuals trying to find answers in life just like me. But because she wanted to help, this is what she wrote. Do you know... Or do you understand that you represent Jesus to me? Do you know or do you understand that when you treat me with gentleness, it raises the question in my mind that maybe he is gentle too? Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I'm hurt. Do you know or do you understand that when you listen to my questions and you don't laugh, I think, What if Jesus is interested in me too? Do you know or do you understand that when I hear you talk about argument or conflict or pain or scars from your past, then I think maybe I'm just a regular person instead of a bad, no good little girl who deserves abuse. If you care, then I think that maybe He cares. And then there is this flame of hope that burns inside of me. And after a while, I'm afraid to breathe because it might go out. Do you know or do you understand that your words are his words and that your face is his face to someone like me? Please, be who you say you are. Please, God, don't let this be another trick. Please let this be real. Please. Do you know or can you understand that you represent Jesus to me? I can tell you there are millions of people just like that. And listen, you are the answer in Jesus.